Day Church. Start making our way back now. I've got about five, six seconds. I love the fellowship. All right, getting back. Well, good morning again, church. Everybody doing okay? Yeah? I love that when he was talking about coffee, that he asked for five volunteers to turn a switch on and put a tablecloth down. Um, I don't know what to say about that, Josiah. Uh, But if you want to volunteer, uh, that would be a great opportunity, as we've been talking about as a church. Everything that we do, we want to be missional. From the coffee that we drink um, to, to the things that we give to, from the youth group to the children's ministry, everything that we do, we want to honor God with. And so that's exciting. I can't wait to drink that coffee. So the title of my message today is called Life Together. You can say it back to me. That's good. And we're continuing in the series in the book of Acts, and we're looking at the birth of the early church and how we've talked about, um, we talked about Pentecost last week and how the Holy Spirit came and empowered the early church. We talked about the glove illustration that we need the Holy Spirit to fill us. We talked about this filling of the Holy Spirit, empowering them to be witnesses and If you read the book of Acts, which I'm encouraging you to do, we are starting to realize how this group of 120, the Bible says, then it grew to 3,000, and then it grew to 5,000. And this is in a matter of days. Because the Holy Spirit was filling this early church, and they were going out, and the gospel was being preached. Historians call it like an unstoppable fire. In fact, Acts 17 says that what the early uh, pagan world said about the Christians in Acts 17 is that these early believers were turning the world upside down. And the Roman history report says there was, by the end of the second century, there was a fifth of the Roman Empire got converted to Christianity. And so... I don't know about you, but I want to study this early church. I don't want to study the new emerging church and some of the ways where they're doing everything they can to try to keep people where it becomes consumer-minded, where, you know, there are some churches that are giving out, like, money as they walk in the doors. And there's this idea of this kind of cruise ship Christianity where church better meet my needs But you learn about the early church, it wasn't about their needs, but about serving the Lord and his will. And so I want to go back, and I want to study these early Christians, and I want to see how they live. And I think as a church, we have a lot to learn from them. And I believe that the more you look at how these early Christians lived, the more you'll be inspired to live a life full of the Spirit, to live a life in community. And that's what we're talking about today. So we're going back. We're going to look at this early church. So the couple questions we're going to ask today is, what can we learn from the early church and what made them so effective? And as you you know, and I've said this the last three weeks, 
the Holy Spirit filling them was the driver for these people getting saved and the church exploding. But there's other things that we can learn from this early church. So we're going to turn uh, in, in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at what, what, what is one of the marks of their effectiveness. And I want to tell you that one of the marks of their effectiveness is that li- they believed in living life together. In fact, they believed that togetherness was their strength, that there was power in community. That for these early Christians, they didn't have believe at all about this private Christianity or this Western individualism. For them, everything was done together. That there was strength when we are together. And so that's an important lesson that I think we're going to learn today as we read about them. But the, the book, the Bible says in Matthew 18, for where two or three gather in my name, what does it say, church? There I am with them. What an incredible statement that when we meet corporately, God says, where two or three gather, I am in the midst of that. And we're going to be talking about how if you read from Genesis to Revelation, the faith and Christianity is all about us being in community. And we have an enemy that wants to rob and distract us and divide us from community. Do you know, in fact, the enemy's name, Satan, Diabolos, it actually means to tear apart. And we have an enemy that's doing everything he can to pull us away from each other. Because when we're together, that's where our strength is. Did someone give me an amen? And I wonder, are you in community? We're launching a bunch of small groups right now, and I can tell you, and this is my testimony, in fact, um, one of the biggest differences in my life, church, and here's a picture of all of us right here. Um, I know, it's kind of scary. Uh, there's Jesse, there's Brant, and there's, uh, there's me, and there's Craig, and Craig's here today. Everybody say hi to Craig. Um, So I want to tell you a little bit about my testimony because in my testimony, one of the greatest gifts to me was fellowship. That's one of the things that held us together is that we had a group of guys that were there for each other. I was 19 years old when I got saved and we were a bunch of surf punks, all right? We loved to party um, and... I'll be honest, I really think that we were all looking for a family. We were looking for community. We didn't know it, though. And we got saved together. Um, I was 19 years old. We went to the ark, and we got saved, and there was this togetherness. And radically, um, we just started to live life together. In fact, they called us the God Squad all right, and, and they, they made fun of us calling us holy rollers. And uh, it was difficult, you know, and, and we, we, were, we had so much radical community that we'd actually go to parties and do Bible. This is a month after we were partying in these same houses. We would go to these houses and we would do Bible study in the middle of a party. Do you want to know the quickest way to break up a party? <laughs> it's not the cops. Do a Bible study. 
We do Bible studies, and they're like, what are you guys doing? But, but we, we, we just, we were enjoying the presence of God. And every time we met together, we would sense the Holy Spirit. And we couldn't get enough. And all the ridiculing, you know, and they were actually taking bets of how long we were going to last with Christianity. I think they bet the most for me to lose. <laughs> well, where are you guys now? <laughs> um, and they were betting and they were ridiculing us. But you know what? We had each other. And I mean, to the point, to the point I was talking this week where, like, I remember one time I was kind of drifting away, getting back into it. They showed up at a party, and they're like, get in the van. I know, it's kind of scary, huh? But they went after me when I was astray. For my walk with God. And I can say, and I know Craig can say, and I know Jesse could say, and I bet, I bet Brant would say the same thing. We would not be here today if we didn't have each other. The enemy would have picked us off, and we would have went back to our old lives, but we had this gift, and that gift was fellowship. Amen? And I don't know if you've experienced it before, but it's God's great gift to you. There are no lone rangers in Christianity. That's, and we know the animal kingdom. What happens when, when one of those sheep or one of those, one of those animals gets strayed from the pack? They get picked off every time. And I can tell you, all the years that I've been in Christ, do you want to know when people start to walk away from their faith, when people start to get weakened where, where they go back to their old lives, or they go back to their addictions. Do you want to know what the common denominator is, church? Let me just tell you this. Almost every single denominator is this. I got away from fellowship. In almost every person I know that's walked away or gotten caught in the weeds, it always starts with, I got disconnected from fellowship. And you might be out there and you might be like, I, I don't need church. I got a relationship with God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie from the pit. You don't need the building, but you need the people. Oh, somebody's got to be with me with that. Come on. You don't need the building, but you need the people. And, and you start believing that lie, you're going to be just like everyone else. And why are so many people leaving the church right now? Why are so many people getting swept? on a decline but I can tell you it has to do with us getting away from meeting together and we think social media is community no about the only thing social media can give you is a textually transmitted disease you like that a theologian told me that a textually transmitted disease. We think that it cures our loneliness. It doesn't cure our loneliness. We're more lonely than ever. We're more anxious than ever. We might have, four, uh, the average person has 400 friends. But are they really community? Is there a sense when you walk in the gym and someone's throwing their arms around you like, hey, I've missed you. I love you. Is there a sense like I had with these guys like, hey, Jamie, what are you doing? What are you doing? accountability, 
restoration, encouragement. Do you know how many times I've come to church and I, I met somebody and they said, and they started talking about what they're going through and I realized, oh my goodness, I'm going through the same things. We need each other. And the enemy is doing everything he can to keep us apart. But Jesus said, the gates of hell will not overcome the church. You might not need the building, but you need the people. And that's why Paul in Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of meeting together because he knows that's the way that the enemy gets a foothold in your life. How many people right now do you know that have fallen out of fellowship that are not in church anymore? What happens? Their marriages get stripped away. They go back to addictions. They get discouraged. They get depressed. You know that isolation is one of the biggest tools the enemy has. If he can get you away from the pack, he can do all sorts of things to your mind. But when you come inside the fellowship, you get people speaking life over you. You get people encouraging you. You get people telling you that you were created for a purpose, and we need that. All right, I'm a little excited. I'm like out of time. I haven't even started my first point. <laughs> Turn to Acts chapter 2. Let's read. I am expecting this week that you go after some people and you bring them back to fellowship. No matter what it takes, and I know there's people... Joe McGraw and some different people in here that go after people because they know the enemy's got his foot on their throat. Go after them. Tell them to get in the van. No, that's, that'll put you in jail. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that'll put you in jail. <laughs> you guys know I like to laugh. Okay, so let me read you one of the most powerful scriptures in all. It, I will tell you, and I probably say this every week, but this is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Acts chapter 2, it's a glimpse into the early church. I wish I could read as good as Chris Cooper, but I'll do my best. (laughs) Okay, this is called the Fellowship of Believers. And actually, you could read it off our beautiful sign. So here it is. This is the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed. had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were saved. Man, I could read that every single day. What do you see? They were devoted. What were they devoted to? They were devoted to fellowship. The whole passage, you start to see that they were devoted to one another. And this is such a good word for us with American Western Christianity. They were devoted, meaning they gave their lives for each other. Church was not a cruise ship as we've been talking about. They were on mission and they needed each other. Every single part needed to function for them to have a church. 
Okay, so Acts 2.42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. One of the first expressions of the life of a church was a common shared life. Yes, they were full of the Spirit, but another one of their strengths is that they believed that Christianity was not a spectator sport and they needed each other. And I can imagine kind of like when I was, was a new Christian, we would actually meet together every day, not because it was an obligation or the pastor told us to do it. It's because we wanted to. Because when we were together, we got stronger. We were there for each other. So let's look at this. What is the word that we see over and over and over together, together in these verses? It's this, togetherness. Verse 46 Acts 2.44 says, all the believers were together. They continued to meet together. Acts 2.46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The word church is togetherness. The early church for them, it was together or it was not at all. There was no individualistic Christianity back then. I remember I, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I started this Jesus and me stuff, and it was all about just this personal relationship, and I realized, wait a minute, that's not biblical. We're called to be a part of the body of Christ, that yes, we need to have a personal relationship with God, but true Christianity only flourishes in community. Y'all still with me? So this idea of like, you know, I don't need the church. This is all about me and Jesus. That's not even biblical. And I think the enemy is using that to bring havoc in people's life. And man, he'll distract us with everything. I mean, in good things too, soccer and surf and sun, all these different things um, that, you know, that are, are not bad things. But the truth is, is are they community? But the early church was like, no matter what, I am not going to get disconnected from my church family because I need them. That's the attitude, church. That's the attitude that will bring victory to your life. Some of you have it, but some of you need to come back. So we need to understand there's power in community. Uh, And this is a message the Bible affirms from Genesis to Revelation that we are created and designed to function together. Do you know that in the garden, God created man? And what is the first thing that he says to man after he creates him? Do you remember? It is not good for you to be alone. Why are you laughing at that, Danley? Because if, you know it's like when wives go out of town. It is not good for Jamie to be alone. Oh, come on. Am I the only one? The number of things that happen to my children when my wife goes out of town. I think I remember one of the kids one time, it got so bad, Kaya's like, I'm, I'm calling 911. <laughs> She's like, I'm not even calling mom, I'm calling 911. I'm like, yeah, call him for me, it locked me up. It's not good for man to be alone. That was in the very fabric of creation. Very fabric, the first thing he says is, look, it's not good for you, Adam. The enemy's gonna have a field day with you if you're alone, so I'm going to give you a helpmate. And you see it everywhere. Um, you see it uh, actually in the Trinity. I love this, by the way. This is a theologically neat point. 
in Genesis 1.28, uh, when talking about the Trinity, God said, let, what is that word? Make human beings in, to be like us. What's going on there? God's saying in every single thing, there's community. The Trinity is this amazing relationship together where Jesus is pointing at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's pointing at the Father. The Father's pointing to the Son, and they have this trinity of relationship. In everything God created, there's this relationship compartment of community. Powerful. Even in the trinity, God's speaking to you. Why the New Testament church is called the body of Christ, created and functioned to... Created and designed to function together. What does it say? It says, so in Christ, this is Romans 12, so in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. I don't know the last time you heard that, but you, we belong to each other, meaning that there's no way that we could have even remotely good worship service today if I was alone. And if you could see what I saw at 7.45, where Jeremy is sitting at his car, text me like, where are you? And then I come in, and then Ian comes in, and it's person after person, and they're setting up chairs, and they're setting up banners, putting the offering back there, we're setting up these things. And it's a picture of the church. And I can tell you, when you get involved to that degree, it changes your Christianity. I know people that have a testimony that because they got on setup, they actually became a Christian. And so I encourage you with all my heart, God wants you in community. And whatever is keeping you back from community, you need to take a long look in the mirror and say, like Gandalf, you shall not pass. I'm going to make some changes in my life to get myself back in community. I believe personally that the Bible study should be overflowing. I believe if you're a Christian, you should be in Bible study. I mean, I can tell you I probably grow more in Bible study with my brothers than I do on Sunday mornings. Because what happens in these Bible studies is everyone has something to say and there's a perspective and what you see is the body of Christ and you leave and you're fulfilled. Y'all still with me? You know what I'm talking about. You that go to Bible study, you know. Hey, Gigi, and don't, you don't have to answer. It's rhetorical, but you will answer anyway because you're Gigi. Um, would you not say sometimes, Gigi, that you get more out of the Bible in community than you do by yourself? Good answer. <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you unequivocally that when I get together with people, I get more out of the Bible than I do by myself. You're like, really? Yes. Because we're designed to function together. And there's things that people, perspectives that people have that jump the scripture out on me that I wouldn't have by myself. Now, personal Bible reading, absolutely, you need to do it. But if you can do it in community, oh, it'll light you on fire. These early Christians, they, it wasn't just they sat alone with the scriptures. No, 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 no. They got together to read the scriptures. That's how they lived. That's how we should live. Paul says that we're the body of Christ. We belong together. 
and togetherness is our strength. And you see this principle in creation. How many people like watching birds? Anybody? Okay, is there bird watchers here? So I'm not the only one? What, you know, I didn't get to surf yesterday, um, but I heard the waves were good. But one of my favorite things to do as a surfer sometimes is when you're out there and it's glassy and you're sitting there and you watch these birds swipe, come down. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you get pooped on. It happens. <laughs> but sometimes you just watch them and they're going over you and, and, and they're flying in these V formations. And for so many years, I'm like, it's so beautiful watching these different birds fly together. And sometimes they're in formation and they're amazing. And they'll glide across the water together and they're all synchronized. You've seen that? You know, the Bible says that nature speaks of the glory of God. That even in nature, you can actually see the hand of God. Well, I see them with birds. And you know what's so funny? In Matthew 6, Jesus says when they're talking about worry and anxiety, do you know what he says? He said, look at the birds. He actually references the birds. That's why I love Jesus so much. (laughs) He loves the birds. He said, look at the birds. Why are you worried? Look at the birds. I'm taking care of them. But so this V formation was so powerful. And I always wondered for so many years, why are they flying in this V formation? And, and, you know, most of the birds are migratory birds, and a lot of them are geese, and they fly in this V formation. And I started to dig a little bit and learn about this. And um, one scientist, he discovered as he began to think, why are they doing that? Because you know it's not random, right? They're flying like that for a reason. So this is what I uncovered. As each bird in the V formation uh, flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the bird behind it. This is good, guys. And the lead goose, what he does is he's splitting the way through the air, moving the wind resistance for the rest of them because the less resistance means that they can fly faster and they can fly further. Listen to this. Scientists find out that, oh yeah, well, it's amazing. When the lead goose gets tired, they actually will rotate positions. They rotate from the back to the front so every bird can share each other's burdens. And scientists have discovered this that geese flying in V formation can fly 72% further when they're together than a single geese could fly. 72% further, church. Because why? Because their success depends on their togetherness. Isn't that cool? Isn't it amazing how God will even speak to us in nature? You look at the geese and you say, how do they fly so far? And they realize there's no way they're going to migrate all the way across the world unless they function together. And when they function together, one in front of the other, bearing each other's burdens, encouraging each other in the flight, they, nothing is impossible for them. And I was thinking, Lord, teach us that principle as Christians, that we need to be in formation. Because when we're in formation, where Christ is the lead bird, can I get an amen on that? 
Christ is the lead bird and we're following, but we're encouraging each other and we're flowing together, we're synchronized. That is when we really get to see the power of true Christianity. All right, I'm pretty fired up. So this biblical idea, and this is going to get a little, I'm throwing some fastballs here because I really think we need to hear this. But Acts chapter 2, what you learn about this early church is it's not just what I can get out of it. We got to get out of that mindset where church is about what I can get out of it. It's about my needs. It's about my preferences. That's what never what church was designed to be according to Acts chapter 2. In fact, it's the opposite of that. This is the phrase, they devoted themselves. What does that mean in Greek? That means they gave themselves away. This is the opposite of consumerism, church. This was not the cruise ship mentality where it's about me, it's about my needs, it's about my preferences, and if I'm not satisfied, I'm leaving. That's not biblical Acts chapter 2 Christianity. In fact, that's the antithesis of it. The point is not how much you were getting out of it, but the point is that you begin to give yourself away. And here's the irony, church. When you give yourself away, you begin to get more out of it. You know what the Bible says? If you're willing to lose your life, you will find your life. If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That when you deny yourself and you give yourself away, that's when you actually receive the most. That's why the happiest people in churches, you know what they are? They're servants. They're the people that are getting up early. They're the people that are getting things ready. There's the people they find the most joy because they're in formation. It's kind of like a family. I was thinking about this. I don't participate in my family based on how much I can get out of it. All right? That's going to be a disappointed man. And vacations. You know, I had to change the name of, of vacations to family trips because at the end of the vacation, I was so upset because of how tired I was. That's not a vacation. Four kids under the age of 12, that's not vacating anything. You know what I'm talking about. It's not vacation. You don't participate in a family trip for what you can get out of it. You participate because you're devoted to your family. And here's the thing. Being a part of a family is the greatest thing of my life, and I get more out of it than anything. But it's not because I approach my family like a McDonald's where I'm like, I take what I need for, from this, and if I don't get my way, I'm going to Chick-fil-A. That rhymed. That was pretty cool. That's not how a family works. If I don't get my way in things, I'm going somewhere else. In fact, it's the opposite. No, I go not like a fast food restaurant. I, I go to give myself away. And when I give myself away, I become like Jesus. And I realize that I get richness from my family. That's the same way the church should be. I actually think my greatest metaphor in the Bible for a church is a family, and I pretty much tell you that every single week, that God's design for this building is that we become in a people, but, but greater than that, that we become a family. 
If you can learn anything from the early church this morning, we need to quit being consumers and we need to start being disciples. So what is a church? Here's my definition. The church is an assembly of people that you give yourself to. All of my theological studies would bring us to this definition that it's an assembly of people that you give yourself to. That's when the church becomes the church. And we need to get out of this idea of this Western mindset of individualism. It's destroying our faith. Interdependence, self-sufficiency, autonomy, that the key to my happiness is my independence with the attitude, I have a relationship with God, but I don't need church. You ever heard that? Or the attitude that I love Jesus, but I don't, but I hate the church. Let me give you a newsflash. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. Y'all still with me? I mean, imagine, I mean, coming to me and say, Jamie, I really like you, but I don't like Kimber. We're going to have words. Or can you imagine just coming up to me and say, Jamie, I want to have you over, over for dinner, but don't bring that messy partner of yours, Kimber. We're going to fight. You can't love Jesus and not love his bride. Isn't that good? Come join us. There's room for one more. Yes, it is full of hypocrites, but there's a seat for you. Oh, you know I'm preaching good. You know I'm preaching good. They need to know I'm preaching. You know. Yes, they're full of hypocrites. Yes. But, 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 but there's a spot for you because we want to look to Jesus and not each other. And when you're willing to give, I'm telling you, you get excited for Sunday mornings. I never thought that I would be excited to get to church an hour and a half earlier to set up 200 chairs. But this morning, I'm turning that corner and I see Ian and I, I got joy. And you know what? There are some Sundays where that might be my favorite part of church. You're not allowed to say that. You're supposed to say my sermons. That's what it's about. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, it's Oh, not there yet. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is, the, as is the manner of some, meaning that there were some of them that were, that were forsaking meeting together. No matter what it takes in your life, you say, I'm going to be a Sunday morning because there's going to be something on Sunday that's going to bless my life. And I promise you, Oh, man, I could give you testimony after testimony of people who are going through something, something so dark, and they would come to church, and the sermon would be just about what they're going through. And I'm like, yes, of course it's going to be that, because God loves you, and when you go into community, he's got your number. Are you, do you get excited about being at church? Is it something that you're willing to say, you know what, I ain't doing that, because I got church? If you're not there, I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to get you there. Because I promise, as you get more consistent and become a part and give yourself here, you are not going to be able 
to stay away when the doors are open. And that's a promise from Jesus because we need each other. And no matter what the lie the enemy, you remember that movie Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio? Whatever lie the enemy has planted in your mind that you don't need other people, that is from the enemy. And it's meant to destroy you. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, and I'm coming to a close here. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my very favorite authors in all the books I read in seminary, which were so many books. It took me five years to get my master's of theology. And I think he's one of my favorite authors of all time. But he um, was a German Christian who got um, put in the concentration camps. Um, it was pretty much a month before uh, Hitler got defeated and he would have been released. But he was killed a week before it ended. And he wrote in his jail cell about community. He wrote this little book called Life Together. I encourage you to go on Amazon and buy it. It's only like $10. And he writes in this book, and he just says over and over, it's grace, nothing but grace that we have each other in community. And he's sitting in a jail cell praying that God would get him out because he missed his brothers and sisters so much. Not his, not his, not, not his family brothers and sisters. He's talking about his, the Christian brothers and sisters. And he writes in the jail cell that some of the loneliest and darkest times have come on him because he was alone in his thoughts. And he wrote this quote, one of my favorite quotes of all time. He said, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. Don't think of a better quote that I found in seminary than this one, that sin actually gets stronger over you when you're alone. But have you ever gone into a group of people and say, hey, I'm struggling this, and you bring your sin out into the light? What happens? Freedom. It breaks the power of sin and the enemy when we get into community. And I want to end with this. Fellowship is one of the greatest gifts that God's ever given us. It's in community that we're protected, that we grow, that we are encouraged, and that we mature. It's like this story of Jesus, of Jesus in Luke. You remember this story, right? It was a parable of the lost sheep. And you remember the story that there's 99 of them, and they're in community, and one of them strays away and gets lost. And Jesus is telling this story because you know the Bible says over and over, we are his sheep. He's talking a story about how he's willing to leave community and go after this one because he knows it's just a matter of time in the world that this sheep is going to get destroyed. They're defenseless. So he goes and he leaves community to get the sheep, puts the sheep back on his shoulders. And you know what he does with the sheep? He brings it back to the place where it belongs, community. We were made for community. He brings it back to community where it can thrive and it can function and it can be safe and protected. And I'm here to tell you that God in his heart, he wants you in community and he will do whatever it takes. So this week, here's my challenge to you. This week, we are supposed to be like Jesus, are we not? And if Jesus is going after people to get them back into fellowship, 
so should we. I don't know who it is that you know that maybe hasn't been to church in a while or maybe someone that you know that's been out of fellowship for years. If you want to be like Jesus, you will go after them with his heart. And maybe, they, maybe they're not ready to come to church, but maybe they'll come to a Bible study. And maybe they're not ready for a Bible study, but maybe they'll have coffee with you at the new Starbucks. Because <laughs> if they won't, I will. I love, I love the coffee at Starbucks, even though it's $25 for a cup. Um, so let's close, let's close here. Um, we're going to move to the table. And interestingly enough, they met at the table. And they broke bread together. But here's my challenge. Go after someone this week that you know has gotten outside a community because it just might be a lifesaver for them. Pastor Colin, would you come? We're going we're to move to the table in communion. And uh, I want you guys also to know that after communion, we have uh, prayer stations where we will be. And we want to pray with you if you feel like you've been isolated. But let's go to the table.